Hello, everyone. I'm Brendan Marcello, joined alongside Michael Nyselik. This is the Auburn Undercover Podcast presented by WeHaveDonuts.com. That's D-O-U-G-H, Nuts.com, proud sponsor of the Auburn Undercover Podcast, delivering donuts all across the state, mainly in the Birmingham area. Make sure and visit their website, WeHaveDonuts.com, for more information on how you can pick up their donuts. Now available at Prevail Union Coffee Shops in Montgomery and Auburn, and also some pop-up locations near Birmingham. Go to wehavedonuts.com for much more information. Um, uh, we, I don't believe we recorded a podcast last week, and if we did, it was after uh, Auburn picked up two big basketball wins by double digits. Auburn football players participated in the Senior Bowl. Well, some of them did, at least, that showed up. And uh, recruiting's coming to a close with National Signing Day just a week and a half away. Um, but first, I mean, the hot topic right now is basketball. Auburn's up to number 11 in the Associated Press poll, um, their highest ranking since 2000, I believe, Mike. And they, they get up there thanks to, one, several teams losing ahead of them last week, and, two, uh, impressive double-digit wins at Missouri on the road and then coming back uh, home and just completely obliterating LSU. Yeah, the Missouri win was probably the more impressive of the two. LSU didn't really look ready to play uh, after that opening barrage. They kind of hung their head a little bit, didn't put up much fight, especially in the second half. They had uh, Anthony McLemore and Horace Spencer both in foul trouble and still, you know, I had two guys that were 6'10", above 6'10", and couldn't get anything done. Um, Missouri, they go into uh, and just, you know, uh, pretty much dominate them in the second half and, and kind of walk away. Uh, from that one with a with a pretty impressive win over a team that had some uh, some some good wins as well. So I, I, that's what I thought. I thought Missouri was the more impressive of the two. Yeah, Missouri, tough place to go play. Missouri's kind of been on the bounce back this year, and then they've actually suffered a couple of uh, losses last week. First to Auburn, and then they went to uh, on the road at Mississippi State and lost. Uh, Mississippi State being one road game that Auburn's also won as well. Uh, Auburn's just kind of you know, it's interesting. The week before, Auburn had been getting off the slow starts, falling behind. And then last week, it was pretty much just them controlling the entire game, maybe except for the Mizzou game. They just kind of pulled away there late. But it was, it was never a question of whether Auburn could come back from a big deficit because they seemed to control of both games. Yeah, and... You know, it's interesting. I was got asked today about like how is there a weakness to this team, and I, and I think teams haven't figured out that you can't match them when they go crazy from beyond the three point arc. Um, you have to just get what you can get and kind of weather the storm. Because man, after that LSU to that start, um, they didn't look back, and it seems like every game there's a stretch where they're just going to launch it from three, and they have the shooters that I don't know. I think it's impossible to keep up. Yeah, I mean, there was one stretch there against LSU. I mean, you know, there's a couple, but there was one stretch there where they're running up the court and just one pass, three-pointer, one pass, three-pointer. Um, and, you know, we talk about who's the best player on this team, and, you know, Mustafa Heron was named Co-SEC Player of the Week, but uh, I think the best player on this team is Bryce Brown, uh, in my opinion, just because you can count on him to hit three-pointers in every game. I saw a stat where he's hit multiple three-pointers in every game since uh, mid-December. Um, Mustafa Heron's off and on. Uh, he's been more off than on, really, until these last two or three games. But 
Bryce Brown's been the consistent one as far as from scoring and really getting them sparked beyond the arc. Well, and he's on the latest at the single season record for three pointers for Auburn. Um, I had this in a story the other day, and uh, I mean it's not even close. He, he doesn't have to average near a season season average to do it, and he hit above that against LSU. I mean, if he continues that kind of pace, uh, he could break it with games left to play in the regular season, not even counting the tournaments. Uh, and he's shooting one of the best. I mean, that leads the SEC. I think he's averaging like three something a game, and uh, and his shooting percentage is in the top ten as well from three point range. So, um, and then you have the defense improvement on top of it. Yeah. And yeah, I mean that's a that's a big deal. Yeah, I was surprised about Mustafa this week, considering. He really had, you know, he had 16 points in that early going, and sure, he played really well, but he didn't score again until there was like four minutes left, and mm-hmm. uh, hasn't been an even, you know, I, I guess it's just about what other players do, too, if they stand out, but um, certainly I thought uh, other players have played better than Mustafa, in, even recently, than uh, for this team. Yeah, I agree with that. You know, Bryce Brown has hit 72 three-pointers. He's hitting at a 40% clip uh, beyond the arc. Um which um, you would think leads a team, but actually does not. Uh, Jared Harper is at 40.8%. And Chuma Okiki, sure, he hasn't taken as many three-pointers, but he's at 42.6%. Mm-hmm. That's uh, quite, quite incredible. And then meanwhile, Mustafa Heron, who's only taken 19 more three-pointers than Chuma, believe it or not, is shooting uh, 31.5%. Uh, beyond the arc, which is interesting to me. If you had to rank the players from maybe one to three, who are the three top players in order, you think, right now for Auburn? Uh, Bryce, Jared, or Bryce, Deshaun, Jared. I think that's what I had, too, last month when I did a top ten. I think it's pretty much the same. I think the only really big mover and shaker probably is Anthony McLemore's kind of really dipped lately. Um, yeah, the fouls. And uh, yeah, that's probably that's probably still the top three. Then you could interchange Jared, I think, and Deshaun in certain games depending on matchups. Like uh, against LSU, you know, Jared probably was a little more important just with the way they kind of shut down uh, Tremont Waters. But in other games, Deshaun just kind of does everything. So, but. Those are your top three, I think, no question. You know, if you go to KenPalm.com uh, right now, which is a great website, Anthony Malcolmore ranks number two nationally among all players in block percentage uh, as far as minutes on the on the, on the the uh, court um, at 17.6%. Number two in the entire country. Pretty good uh, average there, but it'd be nice, be even nicer for Auburn if he could stay out of foul trouble. Um he was he was incredible at Mizzou. What did he have? Six blocks um, yeah. in that game. Um, didn't really need him against LSU. I mean, Auburn just pounced on him, and LSU just quit. Um, but you know, look at Jared Harper. He's kind of been the spark for them off and on this season. Whether it's starting a run um, in the second half when they really need it, or just dishing out assists, he's done a great job of uh, almost quietly dishing out these assists because. A lot of them are three pointers. They're not like dish, you know, what you would, you're maybe accustomed to seeing as a basketball fan where he's dishing passes and the guy's getting a layup or whatever. He's, he's just hitting wide open guys with shoot threes and everything, uh, and some long, long range jumpers. Yeah. And I mean, he's done with the coaching stuff. He's asking, he's put the team first and, 
uh, not worried about kind of what he's going to get offensively, um, and he's done that uh, all season. Um, he's had a couple games where kind of turnovers added up, but that's what point guard's going to happen. But he still found a way, even in bad games, he still found a way to be uh, uh, contribute. So uh, I think the coaching staff is very pleased, kind of just with his development and what uh, him buying into um, what they've asked of him. Because it's a much of it's a big change when you're kind of the offensive leader you know shoot first point guard and to go to say look that you could shoot sometimes but you have to be looking for your teammates first so yeah uh, another little stat here about jared harper a couple of them he's 32nd in the nation in free throw rate uh which takes in a lot of variables which means he gets the free throw line often when he has the ball and also he's hitting them uh, this is among 2,147 players nationally, by the way. He's number 32 and also number 70 in assist rate uh, when he is on the court. Pretty good rate. And when you look at Auburn overall, uh, their numbers, obviously they're number 11 nationally in the polls and everything. A lot of folks have them number two in their bracketology right now, but their efficiency on offense and defense just continues to improve. They're number 10 nationally offensively, number 31 nationally defensively and a lot of that has to do um just with how they've started this sec season um which has been quite incredible i'm looking at it now only one opponent has scored more than 80 points and that was tennessee and auburn beat tennessee by scoring 94 auburn has scored 90 points or more uh three times already in the sec uh which is incredible including the last two games um, and they're holding opponents to about that 70-point range, which you do that, you're going to win a lot of games in the SEC because a lot of teams in the SEC nowadays are trying to run up and down the court. Yeah, it's amazing. You know, I put this in the story today, and Bruce kind of mentioned it, that you know, as good as they've been, two games and they're tied for sixth place. <laughs> so uh, margin of error right now is not very high. They can't really rest on their uh, laurels, um, especially with games again, even after this week against Kentucky. At Florida, uh, Georgia, and Alabama, um, they're going to definitely have some work still to do, even though they've done so well. And you know, obviously, um, I think they're an NCAA tournament team, no question. But uh, for the conference and for seeding, um, still a lot of plenty of work to be done to lock up uh, one of those high seeds and things like that. Yeah, I mean, even this game, uh, as people are listening to this on Tuesday night at Ole Miss. <laughs> And that's not a gimme. Ole Miss has been pretty good at home. You actually look at their games. They're beating teams at home. They're, and then the losses have been uh, uh, close ones. Overtime losses, losses by one possession. Um, and they haven't been a whole lot of losses at home, but that's how they're losing games. Um, and they're coming off a bit of a high after uh, they knocked off, I believe, Texas A&M. They've knocked off Mississippi State at home, their rival. And Mississippi State's pretty good this season. Texas A&M's kind of gone in the tank a little bit though they seem to be showing some life here of late even though they got blown out kansas in the big 12 challenge at least they fought back in that game they had been laying down for a lot of opponents but old miss uh, let's remember old miss led auburn by 10 points at halftime and in fact you know we talk about the you know the georgia game where auburn was down 14 then came back but that old miss game seemed kind of different to me you know just watching it it felt like old miss was just dictating everything and Auburn was going to have a very hard time of trying to come back because Ole Miss is the team that plays their style of basketball, and yet they were the ones who were dictating what they could do offensively and defensively. And when you do that with a similarly paced team, 
that makes things more difficult to come back against. Georgia, on the other hand, likes to slow it down, and you just knew that if Auburn can get on a run, chip into it, maybe they can get within a possession or two. But I thought that Ole Miss comeback victory was more impressive earlier this season than maybe the Georgia one. Um, and I think that very much stacks up with what I believe Tuesday's going to be a very tough game for them on the road uh, at Ole Miss. Well, in the last time they play, obviously, Ole Miss did another leading scorer, uh, DeAndre Burnett. Right. And uh, that made a difference. I mean, Ole Miss was playing really well, and I thought had uh, Auburn on sort of the fence and, you know, ran out of steam a little bit just because you're playing out with your best player, your best, easier, easiest guy that can get to the bucket. And, you know, at some point you just kind of run out of steam. Uh, and Ole Miss is a place where Auburn just has historically in the last 10 years uh, played uh, really, really bad basketball. Last year was about as bad as losses you can have. Yeah, that was bad. I don't know if it was 28 or 32 was the point. It was the lead, whatever it was. Second half, uh, not great. Um, and, you know, they've excised those demons so far uh, this year against teams that they haven't played well or lost to last year, or, uh, lost leads. And, you know, uh, Bruce said that he's not making any big deal out of it. You know, that happened last year and not talking about it because they kind of worked on a lot of those things throughout the season. Uh, off season about you know tempo and transition defense and, and, and playing smart, uh, but something that'll be in their back of their mind and especially Ole Miss that they know they can beat this team. Yeah, yeah, definitely. It'll be interesting to watch uh, Tuesday night. Um, we talked about the NCAA tournament. I mean, you would say Auburn's a lock. They still got to win some games. I, I would say there's like a magic number for Auburn. I think it's three more wins where they get just above 500 in the SEC, uh, be 10 and nine, or excuse me, 10 and eight in the SEC, excuse me, um, going into the SEC tournament. I think that would lock Auburn up um, for an insulate tournament bid. But, you know, with these games remaining, they could um, they could continue. I, I, I don't know if they could get to a one seed line unless they just, you know, won out, including the SEC tournament. Um, then again, maybe some of these teams ahead of them nationally lose a few games and Auburn maybe only loses one or two and who knows, but uh, with the, with the caliber of opponents remaining on the schedule, there's not that top 10 or top 15 team up there. Now the sec is strong. A lot of teams are in the top 70 uh, in the RPI and all that. But if you look at the rankings, I, you know, I, I go by the Ken Palm rankings quite a bit more than the RPI. I mean, Auburn's number six right now in the RPI, but they're number, let's see here, nine, I think. Yeah, number nine, Ken Palm. Um, they've only got two top 25 opponents left, according to that, and that's Florida at 21 and Kentucky at 25. Florida on the road, of course. Um, Auburn's favored in every game, save for the Florida game, actually. Uh, the Arkansas game on the road, believe it or not, they're favored to win. Uh, by 60%, I, I would think that maybe Auburn would not be favored in that game, but depends on how Arkansas plays these next couple of weeks. Lot, lots to be determined, of course, but I think this is an important week for Auburn just because these are two teams that they can beat and should beat with Ole Miss and Vanderbilt, especially Vanderbilt at home. Um, but if they were to lose to Ole Miss, it's obviously not the end of the world, but if they lose both games, then you guys start talking about uh, how far they fall in the seeding list uh, for the NCAA tournament. Because, you know, I think Auburn's a team that's built to make it to the second weekend just if they get hot shooting. 
but I don't know if they can do it if they're like say below the five seed line. Um, I think they've got to get a favorable matchup that first day. I don't think they can play a couple of close games and kind of maintain in that tournament setting uh, the hot shooting. Um, so I think seedings can obviously be very important for Auburn going down the road. And if they want to keep that top five, top seeding, um, they've got to beat teams like Ole Miss and Vanderbilt, whether it's home or away. Yeah, and I keep forgetting they have two against South Carolina, which is a team that has played up to its competition, and one of those is on the yeah, road. Carolina's hard to figure out. Yeah, and then three of those games. So they have South Carolina away, Alabama home, Florida, and Arkansas away. And the Arkansas is the fourth one of those four. Uh, so like you said, that's a tough stretch to have that to finish. So um, it's going to be up and down, and they're gonna—they're obviously going to lose some games. Um, but these are two, like you said, that they should have, and so you can kind of protect yourself. Um, but, I mean, even if they finish 500, you're probably talking, and they win a game or two in the tournament, you're talking they could flirt with a four seed. Um, so, uh, so, you, you know, if it's you the right against so? the competition. Even if they finish 500, yeah. Because yeah. you're looking at losses maybe to, if you finish 500, you lose to Florida, Alabama, and Kentucky. Um, you know, those are teams are all going to make the tournament. So, right, yeah, I didn't think of that. You lose, I mean, if you lose to Vanderbilt, Old Miss, and Texas A&M or something, maybe it's different. But, uh, well, maybe it's not because then you beat Kentucky. Yeah, that's what I'm Alabama. saying. Yeah. So, yeah. um, it just depends. I mean, they've got a nice body of work so far. So, Absolutely. Uh, I don't think that they, you know, the Alabama loss stings a little bit just because they would have had even more protection, but, um, you know, I, I keep thinking back to that game and I know I'm going to sound crazy, but I almost believe that they would have been better been in better position in that game. If Colin Sexton had played because they, that's what they prepared for. And then Alabama did some different things. And they didn't quite know how to counteract it. Plus Auburn went cold as it does every now and again, still managed yeah, to get but, within a possession, but when you have the best player on the floor, that does give you an advantage. So you would um, think, but I also think it takes something away from Alabama during stretches uh, in mm-hmm. games. Yeah, but if he goes for forty, well, makes yeah, it, it no makes com- life easier. No that. So we'll see. It'll be interesting when he plays that game and how much how emotional he is to try to get the, their team a win. When you know he was, he doesn't want to be the reason they lose that second one. Yeah, that could be a big night for Auburn. They'll be uh, celebrating the Iron Bowl win. The uh, Alabama school president will be coming down and singing the Auburn fight song. That'll be fun. Hmm. Um, didn't happen, uh, gosh, when was that? Four years ago because of quote-unquote weather. The student uh, president wouldn't come down because of the roads, even though the roads were okay. But that's neither here nor there. It was a big controversy. Hmm. Um who do you think is the toughest opponent remaining on the schedule? Just the one opponent, whether Auburn plays them twice or once remaining on this schedule. Florida. Yeah, I agree with that. Well, I think Florida, Florida, if I had to pick a team that would win the SEC right now, it's Florida and not Auburn because Florida has been able to go to Kentucky, beat Kentucky, has gone to Missouri, beaten Missouri. And now they get Auburn at home, and that gives them the coin flip advantage if you want to say it's a coin flip type thing. Yeah. They've got those good wins. They're obviously just a game behind Auburn as it stands now, and they get Auburn at home. Um, And Florida's gotten some of those tough games kind of out of the way uh, already, except for Auburn. 
I, and I, Kentucky's, I think, second. Kentucky's always a dangerous team just because, uh, you know, they're capable of playing poorly because they're so young and they um, have a tendency to need time to kind of gel. But at the same time, uh, they knock off West Virginia. Um, yeah, that was something. They were down uh, huge in that game and came back. Yeah, and, you know, they had, had they, they had some quality non-conference games, some of them they lost and they won, but they're used to a big stage. Uh, and so I just think they're not going to get um, – just with the talent level that they have, you know, I think they're more talented maybe than Auburn, um, but she's not as good of a team as Auburn. Sure, sure. So it's always dangerous because, you know, they're going to come in and, and have some talent. And if they have a good game, you're going to have a hard time. So well, I would say Kentucky's the most talented team in the SEC um, yeah. uh, by far. And then maybe Florida's a second, then Auburn's a th- close third at this point, just based off shooters. I mean, Auburn doesn't have, you know, that big man you want, and usually you need that in the tournament if you want to get past the second weekend. But uh, Auburn, just skill level, I mean, they might not be excessively deep. They've got nine good players they can go to, but, man, they, they can shoot lights out at any time, and they've done it in every game this year except for one, and I think that's a Temple game uh, where they really kind of shot lights out at during one big stretch. Uh, mm-hmm. And that's including the Alabama loss where they came back and almost had a shot to win that game in the final minute. Um, so Auburn plays Ole Miss Tuesday, play, hosts Vanderbilt Saturday. Auburn actually only has back-to-back home games once remaining in this season, and that's this Saturday and then next Wednesday, Vanderbilt and A&M. And then after that, it's home away, home away, home away, and a couple of away games uh, or one set of away games back to back, and those are against the two toughest road opponents, Florida and Arkansas. So tough stretch left, and that's why, I, I, as I said, these teams that they quote should beat Ole Miss, Vanderbilt, they got to win those games to to keep their uh, seating uh, very strong. Because uh, for the first time in a very long time, Auburn fans can start talking about seating and looking around the country and seeing where Auburn fits in the uh, in the brackets. Because I. I it would take Auburn losing the remaining of their remainder of their games, or all but one or two, to to not make it at this point. And I, that's there's no way that happens. Um, so on the football stage, not a lot going on. The Senior Bowl was last week. I went down there for one day. Uh, Gus Malzahn didn't say a lot. <laughs> the uh, Spring practices start February 27th, which is a day earlier than last year. It just keeps moving up. Interestingly, uh, Trey Matthews decided not to play in the game. Uh, Phil Savage, the executive director there, told me he was not 100% healthy. And he actually attended the uh, Auburn LSU game that night, that same afternoon, excuse me, as the uh, Senior Bowl, instead of staying in Mobile. Uh, Trey Williams stayed and played, didn't record a stat, I don't believe, as far as tackles. Um, and Austin Golson played center a little bit, so obviously he's not showing up on the stat sheet. But the Senior Bowl is more or less set up for these players to show up on a Monday night, get interviews with NFL teams, and then Tuesday night interview with NFL teams, and then practice, and then play in the game. And For example, by Tuesday morning when I was speaking to some of the Auburn players, a lot of them had already sp- talked to about 15 NFL teams. So <clears throat> that's kind of what that's there that's there for is for these teams to get background on you. So when they start going to pro days and then obviously the NFL combine, they know a little bit more about you. Playing in the senior bowl and what you do in the senior bowl really doesn't matter. Practices actually matter more than the game 
uh, interestingly. By the time Thursday arrives at the game site, there there's no one in the stands as far as NFL personnel or scouts or anything like that. They all leave on Wednesday night. Um, so not surprising that Trey Matthews pulled out if he's uh, injured a little bit, if that's indeed the case, which is what the uh, Senior Bowl was told. Um, but not a lot of updates from Gus Malzahn when we talked to him. Um, you know, recruiting still going on. Obviously, Auburn's still got about three spots left. Uh, they're still trying to sign offensive linemen. I'm not certain it's going to happen, or at least it's not going to be like a Calvin Anderson, that Rice uh, graduate transfer. A lot of teams are going after him. They're fighting hard for him. Um, Auburn may have came in a little bit too late there, so we'll see. And then also last week, Auburn released some of its revenue numbers. Uh, their website, you know, they wrote a story up and uh, put some fake quotes in there. Well, I, I, alleged fake quotes, I should say. They're just quotes that people write out because these that's not how human beings speak, Michael. Mm-hmm. You know, right. You don't speak like that. You know, that's why Auburn is the best place for student athletes or best whatever it is the slogan is that Jay Jacobs using now and will soon be killed when uh, Alan Green takes over full time in a couple of weeks. But um, they <clears throat> they reported an operating surplus of fourteen point six million dollars. Uh, record revenue, $147.5 million. It's interesting, these last three years they've reported revenue because before that they reported a deficit and they took a lot of heat from fans about it. And Auburn's all like, well, it just it, it's not really a deficit. It just depends on how we report things. And ever since they got that fallout from that, they've been reporting revenues every year. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So it's funny how that works. But I think the uh, Auburn's got money because it's an SEC program, so don't worry about that. Um, what I found interesting, uh, looking through the paper, papers that they finally gave us the day after they managed to put their own little story up that's just glowing about Auburn's revenues, is, uh, and if I sound cynical, it's because, well, Auburn's website's there to make everything look like it's amazing, and they don't report everything that's in the revenue report. It's probably in NCAA. Uh, Gus Malzahn's total financial package during the 2016-17 year, which included bonuses and benefits, totaled $5.4 million. And, of course, this is well before his new contract, which is going to average out to $7 million before bonuses and benefits. Um, the nine assistant coaches at the time were total were paid $6.8 million um, with benefits included in everything. Now... The other thing I found interesting was that Auburn paid $1.7 million in severance payments for football, um, $822,750 in basketball, and then a cool $10,980 in baseball. I don't know if hmm. that's the Sonny Galloway or the assistant coach he had that are giving money to. I don't know where the hell that's coming from. But the uh, severance payments in football caught my eye because I thought the, the Gene Chiswick stuff was over with. Um. At least that's what they were telling us a year or so ago. Also, there couldn't have been an assistant that they had to pay. That's that's what I was thinking, but you know, they haven't fired anybody per se, unless yeah. we're looking way back to 2014 when uh, 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 Cheese Harbison, Charlie Harbison, and uh, Melvin Smith were both fired, and Ellis Johnson. So maybe Ellis Johnson. Ellis Johnson's probably still getting some money. 
uh, there because he's not getting paid a whole lot at South Carolina as an analyst uh, yeah. as it stands now. Um, but I found that interesting. I reached out to Auburn asking for explanation as to who's getting this money or whatever. And they said they'd look into it and it's Monday night now at 1130 and I haven't heard anything. So um, maybe in 2058, I'll be able to tell you. Um, but that's about it. What Nothing really other than that stood out. Um, you know, they obviously also kind of bumped up the whole idea that they're spending all this money on new projects, which, yeah, they're saying they're saying they're, they've invested $96 million in facility improvements that are quote, currently in various stages of planning or execution. Um, that includes new equestrian stuff center, uh, Updates for softball, which don't even know what the stages are on that and when they would move forward with that, considering everything that happened with softball. Now they got a new softball coach. Um, uh, baseball, which they haven't really started on. Uh, obviously, the new football facility that's attached to Jordan-Hare Stadium that they're building right now is going to be open uh, in the fall. I believe that's that's makes up more than almost half of that total package anyway. Um, uh, basketball locker rooms. Basketball locker rooms, uh, which were how much was it? Like three million a piece or something like that for the men and women. Yeah, it was in the story I did just about Bruce Pearl reacting to uh, Green's hire, but I don't remember what it was. But yeah, so uh, they're doing a lot of new signage uh, as well, and just some updating cosmetic things because uh, the stadium's a little old now, which is crazy to think about. But yeah, so trying to get that fixed up. Yeah. Well, it's only seven years, eight years old now, but time flies. You know what's really old? The Jordan Hare Stadium, and they need to do something with that. Yeah, and that's going to be up to Alan Green. Um, Any update on his starting date? No, I mean no one will tell us. Yeah. <laughs> uh, his uh, fill-in, his interim director at Buffalo, already started, so I guess he's spending like the next couple of weeks moving his family down here and then two just kind of sitting around and listening to people uh, and preparing to take over the day-to-day operations based off what we've been told. Uh, the president said mid-February, but we don't you think they'd be able to day. narrow that down now. Yeah. Well, I'm sure they have, but if you told the media anything, that means that uh, the world will implode. No, you can't do that. You can't let the public know what you're doing. Mm-hmm even if it's the simplest of things like sure. what day are you taking the trash out? We can't, we can't tell, let anybody know, but it's just Auburn. Love it or hate it. It's not going <laughs> to tell you anything. Um, it's true. But, uh, I keep saying this. It's just a matter of when they build a new football uh, only complex for Gus Malzahn. Because that's been talked about, and as much as uh, President Stephen Lee says that he's got to be a good steward of the money, and you know we got other things to think about. Well, the reality is Auburn's falling behind uh, in the SEC with football facilities. Uh, they can pump up that that kitchen, the wellness kitchen, as much as they want, but the the kids aren't going there to hang out and go, man, it's this is really cool. We get to sit in chairs and. Have food. Fights. I think it's more that it's the food that's the important, not the chairs. Sure, but I don't think the kids care about the food. 
A little bit. I think some of them like the food. Sure, some of them do, but I'm going to tell you something right now. Football players are college students, and they still go to McDonald's. Not the one on campus. Is there one on campus? Well, the one right on, uh, right by the Chick Fil A. Oh no, they go there. That's ter- That's a terrible McDonald's. Is it really? I think I've been through drive-through once to get a frappe uh, uh, or whatever you call it. Yeah, I, mean, I don't think I've ever had the food there. Um, really bad. Well. There goes one sponsor. <laughs> no one's ever going to sponsor us. Uh, anything else you want to talk about? Anything pop culture you caught up with over the last week and a half or so that you wanted to discuss? Uh, I think we discussed it a couple of weeks ago. That uh, well, what's the? I just watched it too. Uh, Counterpoint was that the show's name? Counterpart. The, Counterpart. The Counterpart. Yeah, I watched the first two episodes. Uh, really good. And uh, what's his face? Uh, J.K. Simmons was, was tremendous. Yeah. Uh, real, real good. Uh, plays the same. Plays two versions of the same character, and they're basically totally different people. And it's really impressive how he goes about uh, creating that uh, with acting. Is he? Is he? Is he dragging or is he too fast? <laughs> uh, no one got that. Um, no, I, I watched the first episode. I haven't watched the second one yet, but the first one was pretty good. So I've got. That was a good sign, so I'll, I'll catch up with it on the DVR at some point. But uh, that first episode was pretty good. Um, I saw The Post in theaters. That was a great movie. Yeah, everybody's raving about that. Yeah. I mean, it could have been better, but uh, it's pretty good. The characterizations and, uh, you know, it's very Steven Spielberg. You know, you could tell he embellished. But uh, that's what makes him Steven Spielberg, makes him get a good faithful filmmaker. <laughs> Yeah, but uh, it's great film, uh, great editing, great uh, camera work. You know, there's like one scene where they're all in someone's house going over four thousand pieces of paper, and there's like five reporters in there in this house trying to figure out which is which. And meanwhile, one of the kids is going through there trying to sell lemonade to them for fifty cents a pop, and the mother's going in and out and all this, and the camera's like whipping around. It's pretty cool, but um. Yeah, good movie. And then, and then of course, it ends with Watergate. So you could literally watch The Post and then pop in all the President's Men and you just have yourself like a uh, Washington Post universe, cinematic universe marathon. And there's the Mr. Show reunion, right? There? Did yeah. <laughs> I knew Bob Odenkirk was in there, but I didn't know, uh, uh, what's his name, David... David short. Cross was in. Uh, Cross, Cross was in. yeah, short. Not Cross. Yeah, I mean, it's oh. like one of the first scenes in the movie, they're standing side by side talking, and I'm like, what the heck is this? Um, they got so new- they, they were in a scene together. Oh, they yeah, several times. Yeah, yeah. Um, they, they were kind of one, two of the uh, lower-level editors that were always in the meetings with uh, Tom Hanks. Um, Weird that, that the Steven Spielberg movie, I would have never predicted that they would have been. He had quite a few uh, comedians in the in the movie. Oh yeah, he had uh, goodness. What's his name? He's from the in the office and also Silicon Valley, kind of the tall, lanky guy. Oh right yeah, J- Jared in the Silicon Valley. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't um, know his real. He's in it. He plays a lawyer, actually. Interesting. <laughs> I could see that. Yeah. Um. Uh. What's his name? 
Is it Jesse Plemons? Is that his name? The Friday Night Lights guy? No. Maybe? I never saw that movie. Uh, He was in Breaking Bad. Yeah, Jesse Plemons. That's him. He's in it. He also plays a lawyer. Um, uh, And a lot of uh, character actors you've seen through the years are in it playing big parts. Mm. Uh, Like every face on the screen, you're like, I know who that is. I know who that is. I know who that is. Um, So, yeah, pretty good. And right under two hours, so it doesn't get too long. Very quick watch. Very good. It also makes you sad because you realize just how many, how much resources they were putting into newspapers back then. Yeah, I'm not, not journalism. Sure. And actually, the movie kind of hits on that because the Washington Post is about to go public and they're worried about uh, investors and all this stuff and how many you know, journalists should they employ and can they add more? Should they cut back? And should this reporter actually be covering this? And, you know, where's the line there and all that, you know, so they dealt with that a little bit too in the movie. Um, so it's pretty good. Still want to see, uh, the shape of water. Um, well, those just came out in the theaters around here, so they weren't even here before. Yeah, they're, yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah, I saw a lot of them were at the theater. I was like, wow, I need to catch up with these before they pull them out of the theater. Uh, but a lot of those movies that um, Auburn doesn't get, you know, three uh, billboards. Mm-hmm. Want to see that? Um, I think I could wait to see the Disaster Artist until it comes out on Netflix or something. But uh, yeah. Sounds good. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> That's about it. That is. Then Black Panther comes out in two weeks. Yeah, I think the review of Bargo should be up soon. I think it's the premieres tonight. Yeah. Uh, it'll be interesting to see. Um, obviously, it looks different, um, just with like the style that he uh, kind of brought. Um, and they're kind of going further in that direction letting directors have a little more room especially after that's Thor. good because ryan coogler is an amazing director yeah a lot of the music the trailers a lot of music and uh, i think they've been pretty well cut together but the characters obviously uh, lesser known right uh, but you know what they started the cinematic universe with iron man which was kind of a b-level superhero to begin with but yeah as long as it's a good movie it's a good movie um, and, uh, I love the look of it. As you said, it seems to have its own flair, seems to have its own style and, uh, to it, which, and people uh, want to see the teaser for the infinity wars. So, oh, is that uh, attached to it? Well, I mean, you just, the post credit scenes will be, yeah, you would think yeah, that's right. cause it's the next one. So, um, people will certainly be interested in that. So do you think Captain America will be in this movie since he's down there or Bucky? No, I see it's Bucky. Yeah. I think he is in it. Oh, Bucky is in it. I think so. So he's out of ice? When he frozen what? in ice again or something? No, he just was he was just hiding in Wakanda. But what but isn't Steve Rogers hiding there too? No, I just think he's hiding. Okay, so he's not necessarily just hanging out there. Yeah, he sent that letter to Iron Man and said that if they need him he'll be around, but Oh he did? I don't remember that. Yeah. Civil War spoilers. Yeah. But if you haven't seen it by now, you're probably not going to see it. 
Well, we didn't get any listener questions. No one cares. So that's it for the podcast. Sounds good. Everybody's uh, just clamoring for answers. Just really interactive. <laughs> just interacting. That's all they want. Unless, I mean, they only want to be interactive. They want to call me a moron or call us stupid. But uh, no, no, no questions. So we'll just end it. Thanks for listening to the Auburn Undercover Podcast presented by WeHaveDonuts.com. He's Mike Nislick. I'm Brandon Marcello. Go to AuburnUndercover.com for complete coverage as the Auburn basketball team tries to remain atop the SEC standings this week and recruiting winds down before National Siding Day on February 7th. Thank <laughs> you.